It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And we are still here, bringing you episode 172, Mermaids, Media, and Splash for Myth Movie Night. Yeah, we know it's a, it's a bit of a rough time right now for a lot of people, and we thought a Myth Movie Night was the perfect time to kind of have you guys sit down, watch a movie while you're at home, and uh, we could talk about it. Absolutely. And very happy to report that uh, Tom Hanks is doing all right and in, in recovery. And, and we're happy to hear it. Absolutely. We feel very fortunate to be able to bring some routine and laughs and uh, normalcy to your week as all of us, you know, figure out what's next and take care of our loved ones and stay responsibly indoors. Yep. But uh, luckily, podcasting is a indoor medium and we can do this from our homes. We absolutely can. And we are grateful as always, but especially now running a small business in uh, media uh, in the year of 2020. We're very, very grateful for those of you who pledge to support the show and make this possible on Patreon. So welcome and thank you so, so much to Francis, Katie, Bandy, Callahan, Liz, Lola, Kylie, and congrats, Whitney, which was the name of the patron. So congrats, Whitney. Congrats, Whitney. We don't know what happened, but uh, you deserve some congrats. You absolutely do. Uh, thank you to our supporting producer-level patrons, Philip, Nikki, Tyree, Megan, Deborah, Molly, Skyla, Samantha, Sammy, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh, as well as our legend-level patrons. All of you, along with our other patrons every dang week, make it possible for us to do this for you. Clara, Lacey, Brittany, Josie, Kylie, Morgan, Kyla the Husky, BME Up Scotty, Audra, Necrofancy, Mark, Mr. Folk, Sarah, and Jack Marie. What a good group of people. I would totally go to Cape Cod with them and then uh, almost drown trying to see a mermaid. And Julia, in the future, when we are able to travel and hang out on the beach on Cape Cod, what kind of drinks are we going to be serving up? Sea breezes, Amanda. Sea breezes, they just make me feel like I'm on vacation rather than in my apartment. And it's exactly the kind of drink I think uh, I need right now. I don't know about the rest of the world, but that's the kind of drink I need. I, I love it a lot. And can I tell you about one of the books that I've been reading in my spare time? Oh, please. So I've seen a lot of folks on Twitter talking about Station Eleven, which is a book by Emily St. John Mandel, or Sinjin, if you're in, uh, in Jane Eyre. And <laughs> it is a great book that is about a uh, it's, it's, you know, apocalyptic future. So maybe not the best uh, reading for everybody. I know that I am certainly not choosing to reread that right now. But she has a new book out called The Glass Hotel, which is wonderful. I love it so much. I was lucky enough to get a review copy, which uh, is as um, famous as I need to be. And <laughs> it is about uh, a Ponzi scheme and also the disappearance of a woman from a ship at sea. Wow. So uh, it is it, it could not be more relevant to my interests. I am really enjoying it is like a little bit uh, escape a little bit crimey, and it's just really something I need to get my mind off of things right now. That sounds incredible. I might just uh, pick up the Kindle version ASAP. Absolutely. It comes out on March 24th, so next Tuesday. So, you know, pre-orders really, really help authors to prove to publishers that people want to read their books. So you can go ahead and pre-order it now from your library or at spiritspodcast.com slash books, where we have lists and uh, links to buy all the books we recommend from independent bookstores. Now's the perfect time to start reading those books. Absolutely. Our local bookstores are doing a curbside pickup, and I love Ooh. to make sure that the money I am spending right now is going back to support our local community. 
Excellent. Love it. And Julia, speaking of very relevant content, I hear that there was something very spooky, very creepy, cool on another Multitude show this week. There was, Amanda. If you aren't listening to Horse, Horses, Multitude's basketball podcast that isn't about the wins and losses, but instead about the weird stuff that happens on and off the court, and they recently covered a haunted hotel story, that would be a great jumping off point for our listeners. It is creepy. It is cool. It is also extremely funny. And that's episode 45, The Demon Monocle. Horse is really, really good listening right now, as will be. Next up, our audio sitcom. The trailer is out now. Something special is coming out next week. And then the show comes out in April, on April 14th. We are incredibly excited. It is exactly what I want to listen to right now, which is uh, friends being actually friends and living in a world where they're dealing with stuff, but also loving each other and making jokes. And the actors are so, so good. The writing is so, so good. And I cannot wait to share it with all of you. It is all hilarious. You can go find it by searching Next Stop in your podcast app, or you can go to nextstopshow.com and at nextstopshow on all the social medias. Fantastic. And finally, just as a reminder, if you listen to Spirits on Spotify and you are not getting the show in your subscriptions like you are used to, a very small amount of you will need to resubscribe to the show. So just check it out. Ask your friends. Make sure. Put it up on your Insta story and be like, hey, if you listen to Spirits on Spotify, make sure you're getting it. If not, search for it now. Yeah, do it up. Share the show. We just want to bring a little bit of joy and laughter to everyone's lives right now. Absolutely. We are thinking about you. We are here for you. And we are very happy to bring you episode 172, Mermaids, Media, and Splash, Myth Movie Night. Amanda, I have brought to you a movie that I had seen only bits and pieces of as a child and as an adult. Wild movie genuinely a wild movie. I hadn't seen a damn thing, Julia, but uh, it was a great opportunity to revisit the early oeuvre of Tom Hanks, uh, who is currently getting great medical treatment and will be fine. Yes. Uh, Additionally, Amanda, I wanted to let you know before we started this episode that um, this movie in particular got not great reviews because they were like, who is this Tom Hanks guy? Why didn't you just make John Candy the main character? Hey, Hey, Tom, you're great. Tom's great. It's a he's not a very likable character in this movie, but Tom. Oh, no, no, no. In general, a great dude. And Ron Howard loves using him now. So we all win. I totally agree. And uh, I hear, Julia, that we are going to be discussing some examples of mermaids in media. And I have to tell you that I did log on to JSTOR and have my academic friends jailbreak some PDFs for me. So I took extremely seriously my task here of researching mermaids in literature, and I cannot wait to get into it. So if you don't already know, we are going to be discussing the 1984 fantasy romantic comedy directed by Ron Howard, Splash. It is one of Tom Hanks's earliest films. It also features John Candy, Daryl Hannah, Eugene Levy, and, you know, a couple other people. And a mermaid. And a mermaid. Daryl Hannah plays a mermaid. She's great at it. But as always, you do not have to have watched this movie to enjoy the Myth Movie Night. So we are now going to do a two-minute and two minutes only summary of the movie. So if you want to watch it yourself and don't want any spoilies, go ahead and skip about two minutes and 30 seconds. All right. I'm going to get the timer started for you, Amanda. On your mark. Get set. I'm ready. Go.
All right, Julia. So baby Tom Hanks is impulsive and jumps off a boat in Cape Cod, even though that is explicitly where Jaws was, and sees a beautiful mermaid girl when he's underwater. He can breathe, which is also very strange and weird. But then his dumb parents pull him back into the boat uh, and like break their connection and whatever. And he writes it off as a hallucination because he had like a near-death experience, um, even though it definitely like gives him baggage and disrupts him from having real relationships for, frankly, 20 years. Um, so we flash forward to him as an adult, where he takes a breakup trip back to the Cape as we have all done, meets a cryptid scientist, as we have all done, Mm -hmm. and then falls into the water promptly again and sees the dang woman. She is fully a mermaid. She is pretty. She is naked. But the scientist also sees her. So she ends up taking uh, Tom Hanks's wallet and goes, of course, where else would a young mermaid loose on the town with a couple bennies go to New York City? So uh, she is, of course, arrested immediately as soon as she comes up um, on Liberty Island for being naked. Uh, She learns to speak English from TV and stuff, ends up calling Hanks and tells him that she has, quote, six fun-filled days when the moon is full to stay around. But if she stays longer, she can never go home again. So they fall in love. The scientist tries to expose her as a mermaid. And sure enough, a bunch of uh, stuff happens in the third act. She gets captured. Together with the Hank star, they rescue um, the scientist and Hank rescue Madison, the mermaid. Um, She named herself after the avenue, uh, which is funny. And then they run away at the end of the day to live happily ever after. Yes, in the ocean. In the ocean. Amanda, under under two minutes. I'm very proud. It's a good good, uh, whole thing. Thank you. I took notes as I went, so I would would know what, uh, what beats to relay here. Proud of you. It was pretty entertaining. Is it a great movie? No. But did I get to see Baby Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yes, yes, you did. There were a couple of things that I like wrote down just as like weird notes and also um, things that didn't make sense. For example, at one point, he's like, we're going to get married tonight. You just have to like go get a blood test first, which I didn't know was a thing. Yes, it was. It was. Yeah. During the 80s, you had to get tested for like sexually transmitted diseases and genetic diseases that may get passed down to potential children. That's not a law anymore. I can tell you that, or at least not in New York no, State because I got married. eugenics Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then also, I feel like the funniest and most unrealistic part of this movie is they filmed all of the beach slash underwater stuff in the Bahamas when it's supposed to be like Cape Cod and the Hudson River and stuff like that. Yeah. It's nothing like what it's like to live here. Yes. Um, Also, fun fact about the filming place that they filmed in the Bahamas. This was one of the first movies that Touchstone put out. And Touchstone was like the Disney-owned company that was like, Disney wanted to make more adult films. So they used Touchstone as their production company for that. And because this was a Disney-owned product, when they were filming in the Bahamas, they were kind of scoping out the area. And the place that they ended up scoping in the Bahamas is now Disney's private island that you can take Disney cruises to, Castaway Cay. Oh, no way. Yeah, fun fact. That is very funny. And also another uh, Hank's foreshadowing, which I think is great. There you go. Uh, Also, they made a sequel to this movie that was made for TV, and it was called Splash, two, like (laughs) T-O-O. It's They got none of the original people back. It's a bad movie. So, Julia, with this wonderful framing, putting us in the mood to talk about mermaids and everything, what is it that you want to share with us this week? We did a full episode on mermaids, episode 83, and it was super fun. Mermaids from all over the globe, lots of like uh, queer crews, and it was very good. 
I'm going to do a little bit of a mermaid background for the people who haven't listened to our mermaid episode. I recommend you do, though. This is a couple of, like, different and new information that I found since we did that episode. And I think it also kind of leads into the discussion that I want to have, which is about why sailors found mermaids hot and also why we still think fish people are cool to fuck. Nowadays. Okay. Because we do somehow. We do. We do. And Amanda, what do you want to talk about for this episode? I have several really interesting examples of mermaids in uh, literature, both plays and books, um, and a couple of book recommendations for our listeners to take away and enjoy contemporary versions of mermaid myths. Awesome. How about we do the little bit of background first, and then you can talk about the literature, and then I can talk about the reasons why we find mermaids sexy. Very good. Awesome. So perhaps the oldest concept of the mermaid was actually a merman, which was Ea, who was the Babylonian god of the waters. He was the god that fixed the national borders. He assigned the gods their different roles. And more importantly, for the purposes of our discussion, was represented as either half goat, half fish, or half man, half fish. And you can kind of trace the imagery of the Capricorn to uh, Ea, the Babylonian god. Julia, I really have to know what half was fish, what half was goat. Top half goat, bottom half fish. It's usually bottom half fish. Okay, that's the least terrifying version. Yes. And yes, people, I have seen the reverse centaur meme. You do not have to tweet it to me personally. All the time. All the time they tweet it to us. All the time. Every day. Every day. In terms of old mermaid figures, there's also the Syrian goddess Artigatis, who was the chief goddess. She was a fertility goddess, and she was the protector of the city of Heropolis. Doves and fish were her animal symbols, and she was described as a mermaid goddess, specifically in representations in the city of Ascalon. In Heropolis, her temple was by far the largest, and it featured a pond of sacred fish that were there to honor her. Uh, It is also said that she had a human form, but punished herself by turning into a mermaid out of shame for killing her human lover. Huh. Yeah. So the human mermaid romance has been around since the very beginning. Yeah. Interestingly, there have been a lot of instances in mermaid folklore and mermaid mythology where a human is transformed into a mermaid. But it wasn't until later on with the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid where we see the reverse happen, where a mermaid transforms into a human. Hmm. I'm sure you probably will talk about The Little Mermaid later on in the episode. but Yes, I have a little bit of uh, of information on that, but also some kind of contemporary like criticisms of it, which I thought was really interesting. Great. Love that. All right. Uh, of course, there's also the Greek and Roman Nereids, which uh, some original sources describe them as, quote, the portion of the body that resembles the human figure is still rough with scales. And that's according to our good friend, Pliny the Elder. <laughs> Shout out, Sabums. Uh, Pliny also said that Legatus of Gaul once saw a considerable number of these mermaids, nereids, uh, dead on a seashore, and that there were seamen that would climb onto ships in the middle of the night, sitting on the side, and eventually, if they were allowed to remain there, the ship would tip and sink into the water so long as they sat there. Oh, no. That seems like a tale used to make sure that uh, night duty people do not sleep on the job. That absolutely, that is true. Uh, most of these lists would also include sirens as an early form of mermaid stories, but sirens were originally stories that featured women who were half women, half bird, and it wasn't until the Middle Ages that the siren appeared as a mermaid. No kidding. 
Yeah. However, this is when the idea of the temptress mermaid emerged in Western culture. From the Middle Ages onwards, mermaids either fell into one of two categories or were a mix of both. So they were the foul temptress that would lure men to drown and or devour them in the dark depths of the sea. And there was the beautiful seductive maidens who were much kinder to the lonely sailors that they set their eyes on. Uh, To be safe, most of the sources from this period would basically warn you to stay away from mermaids in general. Uh, Olus Magnus, who is a 16th century cartographer and writer, warned fishermen that if you were to reel up a merperson, quote, do not presently let them go. Such a cruel tempest will arise, and such a hard lamination of that sort of men comes with it, and of some other monsters joining with them that you think the sky should fall. So not only would catching a merperson bring you bad luck, but apparently they also could like control the weather. That's a fun fact. Hmm. So if we want to see a story that is somewhat similar to our movie, there is a story out of the Netherlands in 1430 about how the dikes near the town of Edom failed during a storm. And when the storm cleared, a few girls went out rowing in the floodwaters. They ended up finding a mermaid who was washed ashore by the storm, quote, floundering in the shallow, muddy waters. Oh, no. The standard dictionary of folklore, mythology, and legend tells the story saying, quote, they got her into the boat, took her home, and dressed her in women's clothing. Because, you know, she was a lady and she was also naked. So she stayed on land with the girls, despite, you know, again, the tale did not transform like it does in Splash here. Uh, But she was never able to speak and could not be taught to speak. So kind of similar to what we see with Madison at the beginning of the film, where she has to learn how to speak from watching a bunch of TV. Yeah. And I I wondered kind of where that like muteness came from. I wondered Mm -hmm. if it was sort of like an opposite of a siren song, but it sounds like it's sort of different variations popped up throughout time. Yeah. And I think uh, in the instance of this movie, one, when she tries to say her name, it sounds like dolphin, basically. Um, Yeah. So obviously they're not speaking in you know, human speak or like human language in the underwater part, probably because it wouldn't uh, translate very well. Also put a pin in that for one of my examples later. Hell yeah. Love it. So the age of discovery was perhaps where we start to see that sort of classical sailor mermaid relationship that we see reflected in most of modern media. John Smith, you know, from the the Pocahontas guy, uh, claimed to have seen a mermaid off the coast of Newfoundland in 1614, saying that, quote, her long green hair imparted to her an original character that was by no means unattractive. (laughs) I mean, after certain days at sea, you're like, listen, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Even Columbus, that asshole, uh, claimed to have had experiences with mermaids near the Dominican Republic in 1493, saying the day before when the Admiral was going to the Rio del Oro, he said he saw three mermaids who came quite high out of the water, but were not as pretty as they were depicted. For somehow in the face, they looked like men. Uh, But most likely what they saw were manatees or dugongs or anything of that sort. That, that, you know, nature. Listen. Uh, gay panic is at the bottom of what y'all should be worrying about on Columbus's voyage. (laughs) Yes, honestly. Um, Check yourself. So, Amanda, why do sailors love mermaids? We see in a lot of different examples of ships from the time period I just mentioned that mermaids were often carved into the prows of ships, and that's considered good luck because apparently their boobs, since they're always topless, uh, could calm rough seas, pacifying the sea gods and assuring good weather, which... Extremely funny. 
According to sailor folklore, the opposite would happen if a clothed woman was found on a ship. That's usually why they were not allowed on ships or tossed overboard. But as we've seen in sailing and pirate history, there has been plenty of women who have been aboard ships, either disguised as men or, you know, living their full and best lives. Also, I'm sure that anyone who has breastfed will really relate to that description. Yes. Yes, it will. Let's let's calm the tempest. Okay, we good. (laughs) And besides the fact, like you said, that they were often malnourished and living in harsh conditions. And like, sure, we can talk about how sexuality and sex between sailors is a thing. But that's also not a topic I'm specifically an expert in. So I'm sure people can research it. But relationships between sailors of the same sex were a lot more common than you would think. Yeah. And I'm sure that we're also here being limited by the fact that we like you, the things that you talk about and things that you do are very different. And so here we're talking about uh, myths and um, accounts that were circulated in public, or at least in that sort of like social sphere. So I don't think it's going to be representative of what actually happened, like in any case whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. But the sailors love mermaids because the call of the mermaid was tempting because it called for them to abandon themselves so they could leave the harsh life that they had either on shore or on ship and could start a new one with the merfolk. Water is purifying. It represents rebirth, but it also represents death and destruction. The call of the mermaid is a call to the unknown. It's taking a risk and a potential transformation in order to become something different and potentially more. That is fabulous. And it reminds me so much of the production of Moby Dick by Dave Malloy that uh, Eric Silver and I saw in Boston, uh, which does such a good job of kind of depicting the ever-present threat of mutiny and why that's also really not an easy decision to make. Um, And so I imagine that this kind of like consistent fantasy or push and pull of the routine and obligations that you're in versus the danger, but also maybe freedom of what could be out there is so persuasive. And it's not necessarily even sexualized. It's like it's like a yearning. And that lives like sex lives in that domain. Sure. But it's also so emotionally wrought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think this is actually a great point where we can transition into talking about some mermaid media. But first, Amanda, do you want to join me to get a refill? I sure would. So, Julia, right now, a lot of us are relying on delivery so we can continue to be responsible and make sure that we distance ourselves from anybody who might be vulnerable. And one of the services that I have been using to make sure that I am getting what I need from my household, but also being responsible is DoorDash. They are partnering with our local grocery store to make deliveries and all kinds of restaurants, both national chains and local businesses that you can continue to support with your dollars via delivery. Yeah, and DoorDash makes everything super easy. Ordering is easy. All you have to do is open the DoorDash app. You choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. So not only is your favorite pizza joint on there, but they also have 310,000 restaurant partners in over 4,000 cities. So you might just find a new favorite in these times where, you know, you might not feel like cooking. Absolutely. In all 50 U.S. states, in Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your local community or those chains that you really enjoy with DoorDash. They also make it very easy to communicate with your delivery person, which I really appreciate. And when you tip them, the whole tip goes to the delivery person. 
Yeah. And please make sure you tip your delivery people. It's rough out there for them right now. So you can get $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code CREEPY. Yep. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the promo code CREEPY. One more time, code CREEPY for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Amanda, in uh, the upcoming weeks or possibly months, I decided I'm going to learn a new skill now that I'm home and have the time to do so. So I went immediately to Skillshare. So Skillshare is an online learning community where you can explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. You can learn stuff like illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. I'm specifically learning how to do quilting with Confident Quilting by Joe Ellen Kemper and uh, just like an upbeat, positive way of like creating new things. And I I really, really like that. Uh, And with Skillshare short classes, you can move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold. So you can explore your creativity as well at Skillshare.com slash spirits two, where our listeners will get two free months of premium membership. That's two months free at Skillshare.com slash spirits two. And finally, we are sponsored this week by HoneyBook. For all of us in the gig economy and freelancers in media with small businesses, there is a lot to think about, a lot to do, and now more than ever. So I really appreciate when I can organize all of my client communications, my bookings, contracts, and invoices, and make sure nothing slips through the cracks, even when we have to adapt and deal with all of those challenges that life throws at us as uh, freelancers, self-employed people, small business owners. I use HoneyBook to automate all of that busy work. They have easy-to-use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, and invoices, making sure that when clients do come in and want to pay us, we make it as easy as possible for them to do so. There are e-signatures, automation, all kinds of tools that will help you save time and get paid faster. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit honeybook.com spirits. Payment is flexible, which I really appreciate, especially now, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. That's at honeybook.com spirits for 50% off your first year. Yep, honeybook.com spirits. And now let's get back to the show. All right, Amanda, I have refilled our sea breezes, which, you know, is a, is a very classic kind of cocktail. It's not exactly like the fanciest of cocktails, but sometimes you just want vodka, cranberry juice, and grape juice, you know, a little bit of lime on top. It's so satisfying. It it's reminds so me satisfying. of cruise ships and, you know, <laughs> coasted across the Caribbean. A uh, world in which people could go on cruise ships. Yeah. My past where we could go on cruise ships. <laughs> Grapefruit juice is also great to put in your beer mosa, which yes. I, I am obligated to point out. It's a great drink. It's so good. We oh. love a beer mosa here on Spirits Podcast. Use a, use a sequench. Do yeah. a little grapefruit juice, a little tangerine juice. Come on. Mm, all about it. All right, Amanda, tell me about some mermaid media. So, Julia, the obvious one here and the one where multiple people just pasted the Wikipedia description into a Twitter reply <laughs> when I asked for people's favorite uh, mermaid uh, myths. I I know. Thank you. Is, of course, The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen, Mm -hmm. which has really become, I didn't really realize this, like the national sort of like story of Denmark. And the mermaid is like the symbol of Denmark in a lot of ways, Um, which, again, not qualified to talk about, but it was something that came up again and again in my research. What? They didn't want Hamlet? (laughs) That's very good. So the the beats of the story, I think, are familiar to any of us who are familiar with The Little Mermaid. It really did hew closer to the original tale than I expected. But the point that really stood out to me when I was reading a plot summary here is the pain involved. 
So let me quote uh, to you from the summary here. When consuming the potion that would turn our mermaid heroine into a person will make her feel as if a sword is being passed through her body. Yet when she recovers, she'll have two human legs and will be able to dance like no human has ever danced. However, she will consistently feel as if she is walking on sharp knives. <sighs> I feel that in my soul thinking about oh, like yeah. the the expectations of women especially like going out and it reminds me of the hot date if anyone hasn't watched hot date great show emily axford and brian murphy yes. all about relationships but there is a great episode where they're like going out for their like once a year date night to a club and Emily has to dress up and is walking around. And like by the end of the episode, she's literally like horror movie bleeding from her feet because she's been wearing the heels all night. Yeah. Yes. It's a very good show and definitely worth watching. And it's also like it's a it's a point where I feel like my first instinct was to say like, oh, yes, older fairy tales were darker. Like we sort of discussed and unpacked in the Grimm's fairy tale uh, previous myth movie night. I also want to dig into like what people have said and thought about bodies in fairy tales and in myth in this way. So I found this wonderful paper by Lori Yamamoto, which is titled Surgical Humanization in the Little Mermaid uh, oh. for Marvels and Tales by Wayne State University Press in 2017. That sounds incredible. Please tell me more. It's extremely good. And I'm citing it in the description of this episode. So anybody who would like to read it can. Um, and so this is what Lori's paper is about. And I, I couldn't do it justice by explaining the whole thing. But as always, the introduction of this paper is a great summary of what it's all about. Yamamoto writes, the importance of social modeling for that most impressionable of audiences, children, has not been lost on disability studies scholars. There's increasing interest in disability in children's literature. As such, the disability studies model for reading fairy tales frequently looks at the way that disability functions in a didactic mode, which, side note, is kind of like an instructional uh, way of like talking. So what does the audience learn, consciously or unconsciously, from this text? How are disabled bodies used? This model emphasizes that children's literature creates and reinforces cultural norms associated with, quote, good and bad bodies, especially as markers of race and gender, and further reinforces a moral equivalency between body and spirit. The strength in this model is precisely in identifying a fundamental allegorical freighting of the disabled body. In essence here, not just saying that like, oh, there are some ways in which disabled bodies are depicted or used like a moral thing in literature, but that like by presenting them, it is teaching you something because fairy tales are used didactically. They're used to like teach kids lessons and differences between good and bad. Yeah, it's a great point. And Yamamoto's findings in The Little Mermaid are complex. At the end of the paper, she writes, it's worth noting how far Anderson departs from the traditional models of either binary good or bad bodies or a narrative arc of overcoming bodily limitation, which is obviously so present um, and messed up in fairy tales. Yeah. Anderson's text presents a nuanced, if vexed, view of physical embodiment. By using this paradoxical body that never escapes a simultaneity of wholeness and mutilation, normality and abnormality, human and other, Anderson's story moves beyond being a mere morality tale about the transcendent soul. This disruptive body's inability to settle into a normative shape, even in death, goes so far as to ask whether the notion of humanity itself, that supposed fusion of body and soul, holds water. <laughs> Couldn't couldn't have made it through without the pun. Oh yeah. So listen, I I think it is absolutely fascinating. It's a really really good view to have on this original story. If anybody would like to go and read it in its original or one of the many translations. Um, but the point here being that it's it's not like 
the protagonist like quote overcomes her body and is a human and is that way forever Mm -hmm. it's that bodies are complicated bodies are not a marker of your inherent moral goodness and that there is a wealth of information on disability studies and fairy tales that i'm going to be digging into yeah no that sounds like a great point of like more research for both us and our listeners because obviously you and I are both able-bodied people for the most part. Um, And I think that it's not something that I have much experience on. It's not something I really, you know, thought about in, you know, reading the story in the past. So I -hmm. I love that you've brought that to our, both my and our listeners' attention. But Julia, I also brought some silly things because that is the, the main, the main thing we do here on Spirits is mix serious contemplation of mortality and morals with uh, silly jokes. So uh, this one is courtesy of my friend Marquez, uh, who's on Twitter at Marquez, the GM, and also is one of the co-hosts of the wonderful show Tabletop Potluck. So subscribe to that in your podcast player. Uh, Marquez's tweet said, in Midsummer Night's Dream, Oberon is like, hey, remember when that mermaid sang so beautifully while riding on a dolphin that the seas were calm, but the sky went wild? And Puck's like, yeah. And then he just uses that as a context for a different story that's actually relevant. <laughs> and I was like, Marquez, I didn't. But now I do, Julia. And so I would really love if you may indulge me to quote from Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes, please. Thank you. Also, complete side note, during the Oscar presentation, um, Oscar Isaac and Selma Hayek presented a award together. And my brain was like, oh, that's Oberon and Titania. And forever, this will be my headcanon. So good. I love it. Oberon says, Julia, well, go thy way. Thou shalt not from this grove till I torment thee for this injury. My gentle puck, come hither. Thou rememberest since once I sat upon a promontory, which is a big ledge, and heard a mermaid on a dolphin's back uttering such dulcet and harmonious breath that the rude sea grew civil at her song, and certain stars shot madly from their spheres to hear the sea maid's music. And Puck goes, I remember, because Puck is enslaved. <laughs> that very time I saw, but thou couldst not, flying between the cold moon and the earth, Cupid all armed. A certain aim he took at a fair vestal throned by the west and loosed his love shaft smartly from his bow, as it should pierce a hundred thousand hearts. But I might see young Cupid's fiery shaft quenched in the chaste beams of the watery moon, and the impartial votarist passed on in maiden mediation fancy-free. I'm quoting this long, Julia, because I really just love the invention of the phrase fancy free. And this is where it is. Okay. I also kind of got caught up in the words love shaft. So yeah, no, it's it's not great. Um, But just just to just to finish up, the point here is that Oberon is going through this whole story of like, Puck, I once saw this thing, but you missed it. And this is how and why he's saying all this shit. The bow fell upon a little Western flower before milk white, now purple with love's wound and maidens call it love in idleness. Not a fancy, uh, not a fancy name. Not a catchy no. one. No. Fetch me that flower. The herb I shooed thee once. The juice of it on sleeping eyelids laid will make a man or woman madly dote upon the next live creature that it sees. Fetch me this herb and be thou here again ere the Leviathan can swim a league. And then that's the famous puck line, actually extending the sexualization that we're thinking about here with mermaids and, and sea creatures. I'll put a girl around the earth within 40 minutes. Mm, nice. Um, I think Love Shaft would have been a better name for that flower. It really would have. Yeah. Anything would have been better than that. Any Anything. Uh, love and idleness. I almost forgot it. And I just read it uh, 10 seconds ago. It's still in front of me. Um, and I, I just think it's extremely funny that like the mermaid is 
riding a dolphin, which I have never seen before. And also that her um, breath and song is like making the sea super calm, the sky super excited, and also kind of like hearkening or heralding um, this like discovery and and sort of like amazing sight that Oberon saw, almost like a shooting star, you know, of, of like Cupid shooting a bow and leading him like rainbow pot of gold style to this flower. Here's a thought, Amanda. Let's yes. let's do a thought experiment with me real quick. How would a mermaid ride a dolphin? So I was thinking about this. Good, and I'm glad. I think either it has to be like sidecar motorcycle style and she just like holds on to the side of the dolphin and sort of like presses against them or tandem bike. Two tails swimming. Two creatures moving. And Sometimes the dolphin jumps and the mermaid holds on to the dolphin's fin and just gets more air than she could on her own. Okay, so my thought process was like lay on stomach, grab yeah. uh, grab dorsal fin. Sure. Um, or side saddle like ladies riding horses when they have big skirts. I think so, but you could only side saddle when the dolphin breaches. No, I feel like you could still side saddle. You hold like the dorsal fin like a pommel. And then you just uh, yeah. ride along. I, I imagine there is probably some sort of saddle involved in it, but who can say? It's very interesting. Why? Why would a dolphin permit this? Why wouldn't the Murray and the dolphin just like be friends and swim together? It's very puzzling. Why do horses permit us to ride them? They don't. We just choose to they do it. They don't, Julia. They don't. We should stop enslaving animals to do our bidding. That's just my opinion. I know. Is, it's, is any of it ethical? Who knows? So I have a few just like contemporary recommendations but if you want to do we could either do that or get into like a broader discussion um how about you give us some more contemporary ones and then i can talk about sexy mer people uh and why we think they're hot and it ends with a quote about uh male entitlement cool love it great so julia throughout this process i also wrote down a bunch of books that i want to read so i can't summarize them for our listeners but i can invite you to read them and to join us at spiritspodcast.com slash books you can uh, get a list of all the books we recommend and i will be buying these from my local indie bookstore word brooklyn and checking them out hell yeah so first we have the pisces a novel by melissa broder about a woman who falls for a handsome male swimmer got a gender swap version pretty good um i will talk about the pisces later on but go on <laughs> Oh, oh, thank God. Good. It's great. Um, we have Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant, uh, which came out in 2017. One of Twitter's faves. I, I love Mira so much. Um, so this is actually a follow-up to her 2015 novella, Rolling in the Deep. Very good. It focuses on Tony Stewart, a sonar specialist who becomes obsessed with mermaids after her sister's disappearance. Ooh. Her sister, Anne, worked as a reporter for Imagine Entertainment. While filming a mockumentary about mermaids, the crew of the ship, which is named Targetus, vanished. That's the name of my goddess that I mentioned earlier. Extremely good. Mira is the best. Um, so just to finish off, Tony vows to discover the truth about what happened to her sister in this wonderful follow-up to Rolling in the Deep. Hell yeah, that sounds incredible. I, lo I love a mockumentary. I love a mockumentary. I love a world where a mockumentary filmmaker is a, is a job because it is. And it's just, it's wonderfully contemporary. Um, but then, in a wonderful segue, this also brings up the book The Deep by Rivers Solomon, which mm -hmm. has been recommended to us a ton on Twitter. And I see why. So, Julia, follow me on this journey. In 2017... This American Life had an episode called We Are in the Future, which explored Afrofuturism, a strain of science fiction that addresses the intersection between larger African diaspora and technology across mediums. The episode followed producer Neil Drumming as he covered the topic and also commissioned a song called The Deep 
by clipping the experimental hip-hop group, including Davi Diggs of Hamilton, which I have loved for years. The song was then turned into a book by Better Worlds author River Solomon. Hell yeah. Love it. So the song um, opens by kind of depicting an underwater society built from the offspring of pregnant women who are thrown overboard from slave ships. Mm -hmm. When companies exploring for oil attack their cities, the descendants of those children begin an uprising. The song builds in intensity as it covers the rise of the society, the attack, and then the retaliation. So Solomon kind of covers this arc, um, but also explained to The Verge in a great article I will also link, um, that the original song contained a considerable amount of material that was of particular interest to them personally, including, quote, diaspora and slavery, ecological devastation, memory and remembrance. It also seemed like a chance for an adventure. The world clipping describes in the song is wild and alien and strange. The deep sea itself is a wondrous black pit of mystery. Who wouldn't want a chance to journey there? Oh, that sounds extremely cool. I want to read that immediately and listen to the song. I've already requested this book from Word, so I suggest that everybody check out The Deep by River Solomon, the song The Deep by Clipping, and if you wish, the uh, Afrofuturism-centric episode We Are in the Future by This American Life. Excellent. I love that. I'd also like to recommend a book that is coming out soon that I have been seeing a lot about and I'm like just super excited. Uh, and that's The Mermaid, The Witch and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall. Um, it has a like gender fluid love interest. Uh, there's pirates. There's um, stolen memories and double agents and a bunch of different mermaids included in it. So highly recommend it. It's going to come out on May 5th of this year. Uh, and you definitely want to check it out. I think it's going to be great. Mm, so good. But speaking of all of these great pieces of media, Amanda, that mention mermaids, um, I want to talk about why we still think mermaids are super sexy. Because we are no longer sailors on ships traversing the world. Uh, so why why are we so into it? And why are women in particular so into it? Um, when I Googled mermaid romances, the first search I got was a Goodreads list that had 138 books. Yes, it's also a big trope in fan fiction. Yes, absolutely. And then I found an incredible article from LA Magazine titled, Why Are We Still So Obsessed with Sexy Fish People? And this was from March 20th, 2019. Uh, it talks about uh, the Pisces, which you mentioned, uh, Aquaman, The Shape of Water, and sponsor of Spirits, Siren, and a bunch of other things. Modern scholars have claimed various different theories as to why we're still interested in merfolk, fish people, etc., despite the fact that we're no longer lustful sailors suffering from malnutrition and horniness. Sarah Kessler... True. Sarah Kessler from the USC Annenberg School points out that fear around climate change and the creeping raising ocean levels might have something to do with it. Uh, Mer people are also aspirational in a way. Kessler saying that, quote, they are at once human and sort of better than human. And perhaps having a kind of sophisticated relationship with sexuality is part of that image. That's very true. There are some kind of like super heroic or fae or like alien elements um, to mermaids. Which to me just kind of reminds me of swimming. Like you see a sea creature swimming and you're like, holy shit, like you have like the flash powers. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Mermaids represent that kind of unknown element of the ocean. And it's the same unknown element yeah. as to like why people find aliens really sexy. Yeah, 
I think so. Because it's that, it's that final frontier on, on both sides. There's also a Huffington Post article that I found called Why is Fish Sex So Hot Right Now? An Investigation by Claire <laughs> Fallon. Uh, and her article takes a bit of a different approach, claiming that the phenomenon of, in particular, women's interest in people arises from a dissatisfaction with the concept of straight men. I mean... I get it. Yeah. I also have seen a lot of like uh, gender swapping, gender fluid, uh, like human to mermaid transformation stories in fandom and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, And I think there's something to be said for that idea of like bodily transformation and sort of like limitlessness um, or even transcending uh, the boundaries of, of gender or bodies that is really freeing and like exciting to sort of like imagine. Yeah. And as some of the typical romantic tropes of the modern day kind of reveal themselves to be either problematic or corrupt, think uh, like film stars, doctors, handsome princes, etc. A romantic Mm -hmm. interest outside our own society is much more tempting. So like Tom Hanks at the end of Splash, we want to swim away from a corrupt society and join something new and separate. According to Fallon, quote, one seductive yet impossible fantasy might be the romantic attention of a man who lacks the exhausting baggage of male entitlement. Word. That would be nice. So yeah, I think that says a lot about, you know, just our dissatisfaction with life and society is why we love mermaids and merpeople so much. I think that it like offers this idea of we can leave at any time and find something new and different that is separate from the world that we currently live in. Yeah, it's a really wonderful thing to imagine. And I think especially in a time where a lot of us are, yeah, like thinking about the limits that bodies and society place on us and doing the hard work of, you know, letting our imaginations run wild, but also reconciling that with like the the real work of day to day living, surviving and, and building and maintaining relationships that there's a lot of value imagination brings to our lives. And I just want to encourage everybody and also remind myself that we have permission to escape and we have permission to, you know, lose ourselves in our hobbies, in nature, in, you know, conversation, like whatever it is that brings us that sense of zen, of limitlessness, of sitting at the top of a crow's nest, you know, on like a ship's mast and looking out and not remembering the world below you. Like that is okay and that is necessary. And that's just, I don't know, if mermaids are your thing. Like, rock on. Hell yeah. Have sex with that mermaid. Leave that truth, you know? Listen, if they're enthusiastically consenting, you do you. I don't think there's a better point that I can end this on. So remember, listeners, to stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. When you download the DoorDash app, you can enter code CREEPY for $5 off your first order of $15 or more. At Skillshare.com spirits2, you'll get two free months of Skillshare premium. And at HoneyBook.com spirits, you'll get 50% off your first year. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. 
We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.